Welcome to Answers from Antioch. You have joined us at the intersection of God's Word and today's world. This broadcast is brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Join us as we examine information that impacts the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Josh Davis filling in for Pastor Brad Davis. It's my joy and privilege to get to be with you as we bring to conclusion the series we've been doing this week on creation versus evolution. I gave a foretaste of that on this program last week, and then really in earnest on Monday through Friday, we dealt with those issues, and we are bringing it to a conclusion on today's program. Now you say, this is the first I'm hearing about this. What are you talking about? You can go to answers, excuse me, go to AntiochBristol.com, our church's website again, AntiochBristol.com. And there you will find a green button on our homepage that says Answers from Antioch. That'll take you to the broadcast page, and you can listen to all the past episodes, download them from right there. If you use Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, simply search for Answers from Antioch and subscribe, and you will automatically receive new episodes Every day of the week except Saturday. That's probably the easiest way to say that. we got a 10-minute program Monday through Friday and this 30-minute program every Sunday. And we are glad to bring you this series on creation versus evolution. I won't get into a lot of what I've already discussed, but just to bring you up to speed very ever so slightly before we launch into the concluding portion of these talks. Let me just remind you, we are looking at where did the universe begin? Did it begin? I believe that we demonstrated very well, and not based on my ability, but again, I'm standing on the shoulders of academic giants who have uh, thought these things out, investigated, researched scientifically, philosophically, and done great work. And I just am a, a product of their investment into me and of my own research over the years and several years at that. But uh, What are the conclusions that we reach? I believe that we demonstrated very well that we did have a beginning, that the universe is not eternal. And so it had to begin somewhere. How did it begin? It was either through a natural cause or an intelligent cause. In other words, either just random happenstance of molecules and chemicals and other things bouncing together. They collided in the right way and just like hit the golden combination and poof, it came into being. The Big Bang happened and it it all just happenstance happened. We had just enough time, long enough period of time, and it just happened. Versus was it an intelligent being who brought these things into creation. And then we begin to look at design. Is there design inherent in life and in the universe? Is there any evidence that universe and life have been fine-tuned to exist the way that they do? And we, I believe, demonstrably showed that, yes, that is the case, whether that be through looking at DNA as an example. 
looking at specified complexity and irreducible complexity. For instance, we discuss the human eye, the human brain, these components that need all the pieces together at the same time in the same place in order for it to function the way that it does. And so I believe that this points to evidence that we have an intelligent being who is the creator. I want to continue answering some of the objections that people raise and some of the other proofs that people raise against creationism. And then we want to bring it all to a close. And so let's consider some of the objections. Let's consider some of the alternate arguments that people bring up. They point to the fact that, well, there's a a similarity in structure between humans and between apes and between these other kinds of animals. And you look across the animal kingdom and you can see similarities between different species. Doesn't this show that we have a common ancestor? Why does it have to show that? Could it not be that we have a common creator? That's a simple enough answer and explanation. Who says that God has to reinvent the will every time he creates a different kind of species? Why couldn't he have just used the same principle from apes to humans when he spoke and created them? You know, somebody gave the illustration of a teaspoon going all the way to a tea kettle. And the handle gets a little bit longer. And over time, the handle gets bent. And, and the cup gets a little bit deeper and bigger. And, and you can see the evolution from a teaspoon all the way to a tea kettle. And all the links in that chain. Do we assume that the teaspoon over time has evolved into the tea kettle? No. Because we know that there was a common creator who used similarity in design to design the different things that we need. A teaspoon gets to a tablespoon and then you get a soup ladle and you you go on from there till you get a pot. And then it's not long before they use the same design for a tea kettle. And so there was a common creator that utilized similarities in design for every single one of those quote-unquote, links in the chain, which is really not a chain at all, is it? But others point to, don't you see evolution and progress in the fossil record? Does progress prove evolution? You know, people talk about the evolution of the automobile and the evolution of the airplane. And right now, due to, it's a long story, I'm not going to get into it, due to circumstances Uh, I've let my in-laws borrow the vehicle that I drive every day, and I've borrowed a vehicle from my dad, Pastor Brad, and it's a 1985 GMC pickup truck. So if you see somebody driving around an old, rusty, red uh, 85 GMC pickup truck, that's probably me. And uh, I'm, I'm driving that vehicle now. And did you know every single day I drive past the brand new GMC pickup trucks at the car lot. And my car, that truck that I'm driving, the mileage keeps ticking up. The rust keeps spreading. If we're talking about the evolution of the automobile, shouldn't that old truck be getting better and better and better with age? 
but it's doing the exact opposite. I know I don't have to belabor this point, but I want to use it as an illustration to what I'm talking about. And I'm making a point by using this illustration. And so that truck is getting more rusty. It's getting more worn out. And your vehicle is too. I can park it right next to a brand new seventy, eighty thousand dollar GMC pickup truck loaded with all the options. And I can leave that old nineteen eighty five pickup truck sitting right next to that on the car lot for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years. Let's say I come back ten years later. Will that eighty five GMC pickup truck have improved? No, it's going to keep deteriorating. Can I use it the term this way, de-evolving? And so when we speak about the evolution of the airplane, the evolution of the automobile, even let's just use that GMC truck. Did it just take somebody getting an eight, a 1985 GMC pickup truck, driving it out into a barn, locking it up for low these near 40 years, and they opened up the barn doors and voila, there's a brand new 2022 GMC pickup truck, four doors, fully loaded, all the options just sitting there right in its place. No, of course not. It took intelligent beings to study, to analyze, and to improve the uh, automobile over these past 40 years. And we can see the advancement. So when we speak about the evolution of the automobile or the airplane or any other kind of technology, we understand inherently that it took an intelligent being to bring about that evolution, to bring about those changes. And maybe evolution is the wrong word to use here because that conveys to you that I'm trying to convince you that God used evolution. And that's not really my case at all. And evolution of the airplane, evolution of the automobile isn't just a passive uh, response. In other words, they didn't just sit around hoping and wishing and say, man, I, I want this truck to change. I want it to become better. No, they actively developed ways to improve every single piece of technology on that vehicle. And so that's what brings us to where we are today. And so we can't really necessarily speak about those things in terms of being evolutionary. But then many people say, well, you creationists, you even deny evolution is happening around us and we can see it. What about Darwin and his famous birds, those Darwin's finches that he discovered and and uh, uh, observed on the Galapagos Islands? Aren't they proof enough of evolution to you? Are you going to deny that scientific fact? Let me explain what Darwin observed with those famous finches. It was simply this. He saw that over time as the drought came and dry season came on that island, that the finches' beaks became somewhat larger and harder so that it could crack open those tough nuts and get down into the soft seeds that were on the inside. And what we see there is pushed forward as saying, see, this bird is evolving. 
This bird is mutating. It's changing. And if you deny that, you're denying science. And how could you, creationists, deny science like that? That's right in front of your face. That's so obvious. How are you going to stand against that kind of proof that it is evolving? Can I say there is a difference between macro, M-A-C-R-O, macro evolution and micro, M-I-C-R-O, micro evolution. Macro evolution is change from species to species. And microevolution, M-I-C-R-O, is change within a species. And so we see that bird is what I would term and what I would refer to it as adapting to its environment. And its beak is adapting to the conditions it finds itself in. And you know what? Human beings do the same thing. Think about it this way in terms of temperature. When it's a nice warm day of 50 degrees and you've been in winter and it's been in the 20s and in the 30s and you finally get a break in the weather and it's a sunny 50 degree day, you go outside and you got on your t-shirt and your shorts and you're saying, hallelujah, we can get rid of the coats and this feels great. I love being out here in this weather. But then... If you're in days where it's in the 80s and in the 90s and all of a sudden it turns to 50 degrees, what are you doing? You're pulling out the sweaters, you're pulling out the winter winter parkas and you're wrapping up in your scarf and everything else. Your body has adjusted, your body has adapted to the warmer temperatures of the summer months and then when it gets to 50 degrees it feels like it's freezing cold. And in the wintertime, your body adjusts to the colder temperatures outside. And when it hits 50 degrees, it feels like it's 90. And you're ready to get out there in your short sleeves and shorts and everything else and enjoy the warm sunshine weather that you're having. So you see, it's change within a species. And we who believe in biblical creation do not deny change within a species. That goes on. Yes, if you want to call it microevolution, you can call it that. Change within a species, adaptation. That Yes, we agree that goes on. But notice this, and this is the, the larger point I want to make from that illustration. Did Darwin go back and see that his Galapagos finch had turned into a Galapagos fish? or a Galapagos giraffe, or zebra, or dog, or cat, or some other different kind of species. No, he never observed a change from one species to another. And isn't that a large jump to make to say that uh, an animal going through adaptation all of a sudden is changing from one species to another? There's no reason And there's no logic that backs up making that leap in your argument. None whatsoever. Darwin never observed that, and he never put that forward as an argument. And how strange this is that people go to these great links to try to ignore a creator. And so 
I hope that we're helping you to understand some of these objections that people often raise to biblical creation and and explain exactly what it is and what it is not. And so as we go on, as we're continuing to wrap up some of these things, you know, another thing that people have often pointed to is the list of vestigial organs. And the word vestigial just simply refers to what we could call leftovers uh, from evolution. And in Darwin's day, the list was about 180 different organs and different components within the human body that they felt were leftover parts from evolution. And to this day, the list is down to less than five quote-unquote vestigial organs. So think about this. In less than 200 years, the list has shrunk from around 180 to less than five. And of that five, we know purposes and we know uses for things like your appendix. And so even within that five, we have purpose and reason for those components of our bodies being where they are. And in Darwin's day, it was this list of 180 leftover parts, but science has discovered a purpose for it. And so the point is basically this, just because we don't know the purpose for it doesn't mean there is no purpose. In Darwin's day, science didn't know the purpose for those 180 components of the human body. And now, today, with the advancement of just the last 200 years or so, we understand the purpose behind those parts and the function that those parts serve in our human body. Now, can you survive without your appendix? Yes, of course. And again, I get back to that point I made about adaptation. Our bodies can adapt to not having certain organs. And the human body is a fascinating mechanism in how it all works together in harmony. And so I'm just trying to point out to you that these arguments that people often often offer up fall flat. And there are good answers to these kinds of things. And so what's uh, some other things that people often point out to? Well, they say, well, look look at the DNA code. Evolutionists claim that there's 90% DNA similarity between humans and apes. Again, Going back to our teaspoon to tea kettle, there's a common creator, not a common ancestor. There's a 90% DNA similarity between humans and mice. And let's illustrate this by thinking about letters and words and word order. That can greatly change the meaning. I want to give you two sentences, and they are going to match in 100% of the same letters. But let's see if they have a very different result. Okay, 100% of the same letters. My first sentence is this, Darwin was a scientific god. My second one, with 100% of the same letters, Darwin was a scientific dog. I used 100% of the same letters, 100% match in the letters that were used, similar to what they would argue for the 90% match 
in the uh, letters and the combinations that are used for DNA structure. But when they're rearranged like they were, they have very, very, very different outcomes. One is claiming that Darwin is a scientific god. The other one is saying Darwin is a scientific dog. And very different outcomes, is it not? And so just because there's a similarity of DNA does not mean there's going to be a similar outcome. And so what we see and what this all boils down to is I believe the proof lends us to believe that, yes, there is a being who created these things. Now, who is that being? Based on what we've discussed, based on what we know, we can say first and foremost is a super intelligent being to be able to map out. Just think about the human body for a second your nervous system, your digestive system, your respiratory system, your circulatory system, the human brain, the human eye, the human ear, the uh, ability to speak and to form words, uh, all the components that bring about speech, whether it be the mouth and the teeth and the tongue and voice box and all the way down. Uh, you can look at all the different systems, the muscular system, the skeletal system, all these different systems just in the human body now. Uh, we're going to get to other things in just a second, but isn't this fine-tuned? Isn't this put together so well? Uh, I mean, the fact that we can grab and we can hug and we can touch and we can walk and we can talk and we can touch and we can feel and we can taste and we can smell and we can hear and we can see, we can think. You know, where did these thoughts come from? Why are we so concerned about origin? Why are we so concerned about destiny? Why are we so concerned about the meaning to life and the purpose of life and where we came from and where we're going? Why do we even have those kinds of thoughts at all? If we're just a product of random chance, why should we get to the place where we even ponder these kinds of things? Do you... And your pets ponder these kinds of things? Does your dog ask you these kinds of questions? Does your cat ask you these kinds of questions? Does your goldfish bubble up these kinds of questions to you from the tank? No, they don't ponder those kinds of things, but we do. And just thinking about humanity, thinking about who we are as people, think about the fact that you are designed and that you are created on purpose. So the one who has designed you must be very intelligent, very wise, and I would add very good. He didn't do a haphazard job in designing you. He wanted to do the very best in designing you. And he created you and he sees you as being beautiful. And so I believe that we can look at the human body and we can look at the world around us and that paints, and paints an even bigger picture for us. Look at what this Creator has given us to enjoy. Food to eat from plants and a variety of food. Couldn't the one who created, couldn't this intelligent being have just given us one kind of food to sustain life? And yet... There's a rich variety of all kinds of plants and trees and fruit and nuts 
such wide variety that we get to enjoy. And it seems like we're not just designed to survive as evolution would have it to be, survival of the fittest, but we were designed to thrive in this environment that we have been blessed with. We have the right mixture of air to breathe. We have the right chemicals and the right amount of water that we can drink and enjoy and vibrantly enjoy the life. Just take a deep breath with me, even right now. Take a deep breath. You feel that vitality. You feel that energy coming into your body. That's the right mixture that the Creator has designed for you to enjoy this life and to enjoy that gift of breath that you get to breathe every single day. And it seems to me that He has given us the seasons of the year and given us uh, the all the gravitational force. Imagine if gravity was just a little bit weaker and we were floating around and we were having to cling to rocks and to trees and, and trying to constantly pull ourselves back down. But our Creator wants us to thrive and so He's given us the right balance of gravity. What if He turned gravity up and it began to squeeze us and to crush us. And we felt like we're carrying a 500-pound weight around on our back constantly, scrunched next to the ground because gravity is just sucking us in and pulling us in and collapsing in on us even more. And yet he has given it in such a way that it is just right. You know, it's just like the Goldilocks fairy tale. And I don't mean to get nostalgic on you, but I will. And forgive me for doing so. But it was all just right. The porridge was just right. The chair was just right. Wasn't too soft, wasn't too hard. The bed wasn't too soft, wasn't too hard. It was just right. And just like with Goldilocks, everything in our universe, everything on planet Earth, everything with the human body, the human brain, was fine-tuned just right. Now, I know Sin has crept in. Corruption has crept in. We have sickness. We have disease. We have issues. And you say, well, isn't that a sign that God got some things wrong? No. If you look at Scripture, and by the way, we haven't quoted a verse of Scripture, but if you look at Scripture, it begins to give you that revelation to show you what happened to creation. Creation was perfect, and yet man chose wrongly and sinfully and thorns and pain and suffering and heartache and sickness entered in because of sin. Death came with sin. And one of these days, the creator king of the universe is going to set everything right. Creation is lost right now, but one of these days, creation will be restored and there will be a resurrection and I'm getting into the special revelation that God has given us in His Word as I wrap up over the next couple of minutes. That there is going to be a, a, a resurrection. And just like Jesus' body was resurrected to perfection, so too those who believe in Jesus, our bodies will be resurrected to perfection. And we'll have a body that is exactly what God designed it to be free of sickness, free of disease, no more cancer, no more colds. 
no more aches, no more pains, no more broken bones, no more gray hairs, no more getting bald, and no more uh, anything else that is a sign of aging, sickness, weakness, dearth of any way, shape, or form. It'll be eternal enjoyment of our Creator King, worshiping Him, enjoying Him for all of eternity. This is the Creator who loves you. He's given you the wonderful gift of breath and life, and He wants you to enjoy a vibrant relationship with Him. And you can know Him through Jesus Christ, our Savior. If you have questions about what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus, please reach out to us today. He is your creator. He sees you as beautiful, as somebody he loves and somebody he cares for so deeply. He wants to deliver you out of the brokenness that you are in and set you free to enjoy him forever. Thank you for joining us today. We encourage you to visit our website at AntiochBristol.com. There you will find many ways to contact us and connect with us and so much more. Until next time, stand firm in Jesus' truth.